the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome. You are listening to Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston, New England's oldest African-American church. Hope and Faith Ministry features the inspirational sermons of my father, Dr. Wesley Roberts, Senior Pastor at People's Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here. Dr. Roberts has a powerful message of hope and love for your life and mine. Now enjoy this broadcast of Hope and Faith Ministry, brought to you from People's Baptist Church of Boston. The title of the message today is The Challenge of Palm Sunday. The Challenge of Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the beginning of Holy Week, which ends on Easter Sunday. It is truly a Holy Week because it encompasses the most sacred events of the Christian faith, crucifixion and resurrection. All four Gospels record the events which occurred during Christ's final days before his crucifixion. These events are so familiar to most of us that we can easily go through the motions of a celebration without ever allowing the message of these events to touch us. The the challenge every year is to read these accounts with fresh eyes. Look with me at the familiar account of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem and see if you see what I see. As Jesus rides into the Towards the city of Jerusalem, the crowds are growing and there is a festive atmosphere because it is Passover and pilgrims have gathered from all over the world for this, the greatest of all Jewish holidays. Even before Jesus arrives, the news has spread that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. You can imagine the excitement that uh, prevailed. Have you Heard the news? Lazarus died and was buried in a tomb so long that his body started to decay. But this teacher from Nazareth called Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth from from the tomb. I saw him. They stripped away the grave clothing and he actually walked and breathed and lived again. Surely only the Messiah, only the Son of God could do that. The news travels from one person to another until finally when Jesus was ready to enter the city, great crowds estimated at between 100 and 200,000 had collected on both sides of the road. They had cut palm branches and, and were shouting, Hosanna to the King. Excitement prevailed throughout the whole city. Then Jesus looked over his waiting audience. 
he must have seen the mixture of expressions on their faces. There were those who loved him. Perhaps Bartimaeus was there, a man who had received his sight, no longer in his beggar's rags. How about Zacchaeus? He had paid back his debt to society and had made his peace with God. And the lepers, their skin had been cleansed, and now they were rejoicing for the healing that the Lord had given to them. Maybe Jairus' daughter was there, back to life again from experiencing death. Lazarus and Mary and Martha and Mary Magdalene, they were all there. Their lives reflected the love that was in their hearts for the man who had taught them and changed them. There were also sinister faces there, faces with squinty eyes waiting for Jesus to say one wrong word to make one mistake. The Sadducees and the Pharisees were were there. They were supposed to be keepers of the law, spiritual leaders. But Jesus had gained so much popularity that they felt threatened and so full of jealousy they watched him waiting for him to do something which was wrong. The Romans were there fearing revolt and watching for any sign of rebellion against Rome. They were ready and waiting to crush any uprising. Jesus realized as he listened to their hosannas that soon the sinister voices would drown out the voices of love, that those crying for him to be king would soon be crying, crucify him, crucify him, or simply standing aside, saying nothing at all. Palm Sunday was all joy, excitement, praise, adoration, People were in a festive mood. Jerusalem was a city accustomed to processions. For example, Solomon's inaugural and the return of Jewish military heroes from successful wars. But Palm Sunday was a different kind of procession. Jerusalem had not seen anything like it before. There was no tramp of marching soldiers, no glittering helmets or array of banners, and no colorful horses or battle chariots, only a preacher riding on a donkey. There are two things about this day that I would like to focus our attention on. First, the choice of a lowly donkey the choice of a lowly donkey. Luke chapter 19, 29 through 31 says, As they came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. And as you enter it, you will see a cold tide there, that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs it. Now, why a donkey? Why not a horse, the steed of royalty? 
or a camel in the street of commerce? Why this humble, downtrodden beast of burden, this poor man's horse, despised and often ill-treated? Note that this act was quite consistent with the entire life of Jesus. From his birth in a stable, through his years as a carpenter, and then as an itinerant teacher of an unpretentious band of disciples, until the crucifixion between two criminals, one of whom he made his friend. The donkey also fulfilled the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, even on a donkey's colt. I know, I don't know about you, but if I wanted to ride an animal in a procession, it certainly would not be a donkey. And you probably wouldn't want to. I've been on donkeys, but uh, I don't think that I would want to ride a donkey in a procession. But the great God of the universe does things differently from us. You see, when he wants to get something done, he does not select the persons or things that we would choose. The Apostle Paul makes this quite clear uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 27 through 29. God deliberately chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose those who are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important, so that no one can ever boast in his presence. So when God wanted to deliver the children of Israel from slavery in Egypt, he did not send an army to engage Pharaoh. We would perhaps have mobilized the best equipped fighting force to humiliate the Egyptians, or we would have sent the most articulate diplomat someone skilled in the art of persuasion to negotiate with Pharaoh. But God did not do that. He sent a man named Moses, whose only qualification as a leader was 40 years' experience tending his father-in-law's sheep, a man with a speech impediment who stuttered when he spoke. There is no black church or black organization that I can think of that would have chosen Moses as leader. You see, our culture and tradition place great importance on oratorical ability. We are an oral people, so the person who has the ability to use the spoken word is the one we would choose to represent us. But God chose Moses to represent him before Pharaoh. And when Pharaoh looked at him, he ordered him out of his presence with the words, Who is God that I should obey him? He was to find out very soon who God was, not by the use of force, but by some little flies and frogs. 
The world looks upon frogs and flies with scorn, but they were the weapons God gave to Moses. You see, we may be weak in ourselves, but we have a mighty God. God delights in taking the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. How did God defeat the great giant Goliath? Not by a spear or a sword, but by a little, but with a little stone sent by a little slingshot operated by a little shepherd boy. See, David was the last person we would have chosen to fight Goliath, but you see, God, that is why God is God. He chooses as his instruments people and things despised by the world. Many of you listening to me today may consider yourselves weak, ordinary persons with very little to contribute to the kingdom of God. But that is where you are wrong. God does not call us for what we are, but for what we can become through his grace and power. God knows that some of us are weak in faith, weak in knowledge, weak in our resistance to temptation, weak in standing up for Jesus. But he has chosen us anyway so that he can demonstrate his power in us and through us. God knows our faults and our failures. He knows our fears and anxieties. He knows our trials and tribulations. He knows all of our limitations and handicaps. And yet, he has called us to be his disciples so that he can empower us and use us. You see, when God calls a person to serve him, as he has called all of us who name the name of Christ, he gives us courage to fight our battles strength to run our race, boldness to press toward the mark of the high calling that he has given us, ability to withstand the pressures of daily living, and determination to persevere. Every Christian can count on God to stand by him or her in the midst of the pressures of daily living. The knowledge that God is with us or to enable us to face the unfaceable, to bear the unbearable, to hold on in difficult times, to faithfully fulfill our responsibilities, and to believe God for the unbelievable. To those who are new believers or new Christians, let me say you will soon discover that a divine hand is, is guiding your life, that the angels of the Lord are encamped around you, that the unsearchable riches of God's grace are inexhaustible, that God's anointing uh, touch makes a vast difference in your life, and that God will not call you into a particular ministry and a particular service without equipping you for that ministry or service. So when you're at your weakest and feel absolutely useless and worthless, that is the time that God can best use you so that when you succeed, you won't take the credit or the glory for what you have done. So God uses those whom the world considers weak, ignorant, and least likely to succeed in anything. 
See, Palm Sunday shows us that God's ways are not our ways. And that, and that spells hope for all of us. Because God can use us. Even as he used that little donkey on Palm Sunday. But secondly, the unnamed owners of the donkey. The unnamed owners of the donkey. Look at Luke 19, 32 through 35. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, Why are you untying my colt? And the disciples simply replied, The Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. Clearly, the two disciples did not know the donkey's owners. Otherwise, Jesus would have told them uh, the name and where exactly where to find them. But note the plural owners here. Now, this is important because if the donkey had at least two owners you can be sure they were poor people. The donkey didn't belong to some rich landowner to whom the donkey was just one of many. To the donkey's owners, it would have had to be a sizable investment for each of them. So why would the owners have parted with such an investment to complete strangers, the disciples? The only reasonable explanation is that the Lord, the expression the Lord needs it was a prearranged code word. If this is so, then Jesus must have put a lot of planning into riding the donkey into Jerusalem. You see, God does not leave things to chance like us. Whatever he does is done according to his predetermined will. Jesus had many friends beyond the circle of his disciples. There was a friend who provided the upper room in which he observed the Passover and instituted the Last Supper. There was the wealthy friend who gave the tomb in which he was buried. You see, God's cause and God's kingdom always have unknown friends and supporters who are at the right place at the right time to do the Lord's work. Let us not limit God to whom we know when we have a need, for he can do it exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine. An example is one Sunday, some years ago, when the church was having some financial need, someone anonymously placed a bank draft in the offering plate for a large sum of money. To this day, I don't know who did it, but I believe it was the Lord who directed that person to do what he or she did that particular Sunday. You see, God is in the business of opening and closing doors for us and meeting our needs in unexpected ways. 
The owners of the donkey had something which Jesus needed, and they graciously gave it. Whatever you have, Jesus can use it. It may be a heart full of compassion and tenderness. It may be organizational skills, skills in leadership. It may be teaching ability. It may be the ability to encourage others. It may be the ability to relate to people and to make them feel at home. It may be the ability to show acts of kindness. Every Christian has some distinctive contribution to make to the body of Christ or to the community in which they live. If you can't be a lighthouse, then be a candle. So there are many who look for the opportunity to do great things for God, but few are willing to do the little things. You see, God is not asking us to do great things. He just wants to use us as he sees fit. He determines how he will use us with the gifts and the abilities he has given to us through his spirit. The problem is we have too small a view of God. So listen to uh, King David's view of God expressed in his prayer recorded in First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. And then Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, Now glory be to God. By his mighty power at work within us, he is able to accomplish infinitely more than we would ever dare to ask or hope. Amen. You see, God can use every one of us to do far more for him than we can ever imagine. No person who gives his life to Jesus Christ will ever regret it. If you are here today feeling that you are a failure, give your life to Christ and watch him work a miracle. If you feel that you are a nobody, give your life to Christ and he will make you into a somebody. If you feel you have wasted your life, turn over what's left to Jesus and he will make it productive. If you feel that your life is one big mess, then turn it over to Jesus and he will make it one big miracle. He said, Jesus is the business of picking up broken lives and making them whole. He is the business of leading men and women out of disgrace into grace, out of sin into salvation, out of shame into glory, out of guilt into forgiveness, out of failure into success, out of grief into gladness, and out of sickness into health. But let me tell you a little bit more about the Christ I'm talking about here on this Palm Sunday. He was born contrary to the laws of nature. He lived in poverty and was reared in obscurity. He possessed neither wealth nor influence. In infancy, he startled a king. In childhood, he puzzled the scholars. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature, walked upon the billows as if pavements, and hushed the sea to sleep. He healed the multitudes without medicine and made no charge for his service. He never wrote a book, and yet all the libraries of the country could not hold the books that have been written about him. 
He never wrote a song, and yet it, he has furnished the theme for more songs than all of the songwriters combined. He never practiced psychiatry, and yet he has healed more broken hearts than all of the doctors far and near. All the names of the past proud statesmen of Greece and Rome have come and gone. The names of past scientists, philosophers, and theologians have come and gone, but the name of Jesus abounds more and more. He was nailed to a cross and buried in a borrowed tomb, and yet he still lives. Herod could not destroy him, and the grave could not hold him. He stands forth as the highest pinnacle of heavenly glory, proclaimed of God, acknowledged by angels, adored by saints, and feared by devils as the living personal Christ, our Savior and Lord. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you have the assurance that God will answer your prayers, that he will honor your faithfulness, that he will solve your problems, that he'll direct your footsteps, that he'll bless your efforts and meet your needs. But the greatest of all is yet to come. For when the last trumpet of God sounds, and when our feet leave the earth, and our bodies are changed, and corruption puts on incorruption, and mortality puts on immortality, and when all tears are wiped from our eyes, when time shall be no more, then we shall see him who is high and lifted up, who is King of kings and Lord of lords, who is the first born from the dead and the author of our salvation. And then he will say to each of us, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And that is good enough for me. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for joining us here at Hope and Faith Ministry a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston. We pray that you have been touched and inspired by today's message. People's Baptist Church is a Christ-centered, caring church located at 134 Camden Street at the corner of Camden and Tremont Streets. Our Sunday services are at 8 a.m. and at 1045 a.m. You can reach us at 617-427-0424. Come visit us in person or on the web at www.pbcboston.org. And tune in every Saturday morning at 1030 for another inspiring message of hope and faith. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.